Hey everybody, this is Reiko Zek, the pastor at St. Paul's. You're listening to Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. So glad you are. Today is day number 16. Maybe you're listening today on January 16th, or maybe you're listening on June 18th. Whatever. Just glad you're listening. Well, today we are going to read Genesis 32 and 34. Sound effects. And Matthew chapter 11 and Psalm 14 and a little bit of Proverbs chapter 3. So, let's pick it up. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you are the mighty God of Israel, the mighty God who has come to bring the kingdom. Open open your word to us today that we might, might see Jesus, we might grow in faith, we might learn to live this life in wisdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of stuff here. I am trying unsuccessfully to shorten these podcasts. I'm not good at it. I used to it used to really annoy me about preachers who just kept on going and going and going. It's like, yeah, I know you know all this stuff. Good for you. So I'm gonna try not to do that. I'm gonna try to to reduce a little bit and uh, summarize a few things. So today we're here it with Genesis 32. Oh, let's pause. Pray for me. <laughs> Genesis 32. Jacob has come back to the land. He just had this covenant meal with his father-in-law, Laban. And Laban has returned back to his home. And now he's about to um, meet his brother, Esau. And Esau, last time he saw Esau, 20 years ago or so, Esau wanted to kill him. And he knows Esau is coming. And so he is, um, he's, he is giving Esau a, a gift, and so he set aside about at least 550 animals, maybe more if we count the the, the calves of the camels. We don't know how many that is, uh, but there's a, a whole bunch of animals. Think for a minute. How much has God blessed him? If he's just taking a part of his herds as a gift uh, for his brother, and this part is 550 animals, man, think how many other servants and people he has to have and just to you know feed them and water them and and all that stuff so God has really blessed Jacob when he was there with his father-in-law you know he uh, it's amazing okay so he's afraid and uh, so he sends uh, his wives and and his kids across the river and across the the brook really it's called Jabbok now in English, we don't pick up all these things, but there's a lot of wordplay here. And the, the title here says, Jacob wrestles with God. And so there's a lot of, of things going on. There's the, the brook, uh, Jabbok, and there is his name, which is Jacob. And there is this word wrestling, which is avak. So all those kind of sound similar. There's this, this thing that's going to happen. I don't know if as you read this, you were surprised. Jacob is wrestling with a man. He is wrestling all night long until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. You know, who's stronger here, the man or Jacob? And what what's going on that he's wrestling with him all night? Right? Remember in the previous chapter, he, he calls out to God. Uh, and then also God had revealed that there are this camp of angels there and and he's worried, you know, for his family. And what is he doing? Of course, he is praying. And, and in this prayer, this time of prayer, 
a man shows up who starts to wrestle with him. And, you know, it's kind of like this man is letting Jacob mm, win or, or not, you know, not defeat him. It's, it's almost like, you know, when I used to wrestle with my boys when they were real little, you know, they tried to beat me and um, I tried to beat them. It was kind of a back and forth. It's a fun thing. Is that what's happening? I don't know. Anyway, Jacob is hurt a little bit. His, his hip is put out of socket, but he holds on and, and it's the breaking of the day. And he says, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So obviously Jacob knows that this man is not really his enemy. He's there to bless him. And so he asks for a blessing. Come on, I've wrestled with you all night long. Give me the blessing. Well, what is he asking for? I don't know. But it seems like Jacob wants a reminder of what God has already done. Remember before he even went to uh, Haran, where before he's married, he uh, God opens the heavens in the dream, and he sees the ladder and the Lord standing there, the ladder to heaven, the stairway to heaven. And God there blessed him. I'm going to flip back. This is Genesis 28. And I, I just circled some things in my Bible. The things that God promised him was the land. Uh, well, first that he is the Lord, the God of his father. Um, that he would give him the land. That his offspring would be like the dust of the earth. That all the families of the earth would be blessed. That I will be with you. I will not leave you. So that's that's Genesis 28. That is, that is the blessing uh, you know, that he gave. And yet... Um, he wants it again. God has blessed him, but now he thinks he's going to die because Esau wants to kill him. And Esau has, you know, he has 12 sons. How many, um, I'm sorry, no, I'm getting confused with Ishmael, but Esau also has grown and Esau has, has flourished and he's afraid that he's going to kill him. And so um, he says, bless me, bless me again. And then there's this interchange. He said to him, what is your name? And he said to him, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Now, this new name is the blessing. In effect, he's almost saying, your old heel-grabbing, deceiving, manipulating man, that old man, and here he is talking to an old man, Jacob is probably 97, and that old man who you were is gone. You have a new name, Israel, in, in Israel means, uh, you know, it's hard to translate exactly, but it means something like that word El is God. So Israel is one who wrestles with God or um, or one who strives with God. Or we could even say, uh, may God strive. Or we could even say Israel means God's fighter. You know, it could be taken a lot of different ways there when you condense it. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, deceiver, uh, heel grabber, but rather Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And it's almost like, I already did. I already told you my name. You have striven. You are Israel. You have wrestled with God. You know who I am. I am God. Now, that's odd, right? Because it says that he is a man. But Jacob knows that he's more than a man. And so he says, he says, uh, Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, which means the face of God. And he says, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And so, um, is this God? Yeah. And we're not the only ones to think this, that 
you know, this podcast is called Jesus in the Center. But even in the Old Testament, it was taken to be God. I'm going to flip over my Bible, more sound effects, to Hosea, a much later prophet. Hosea chapter 12, uh, verse 3 and 4 says this, In the womb, he's talking about Jacob, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel. And there God spoke with us, the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So then it's a beautiful, this is in the context of, of God pleading with, with the nation, the people of Israel to return. And so look back at your father, Jacob. He strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. And so here in this passage, it, it doesn't call the man or uh, you know the, this person he's wrestling with. He doesn't call him an angel. Uh, but Hosea seems to take him as a messenger um, and all, and God himself. So Jacob is wrestling with God. Who is this? We don't know, but it, we do see back in Genesis 18, the Lord showed up as a human figure to Abraham, you know, and said that a year from now you're going to have a son. So I think this is, we could say rightly, that this is the pre-incarnate Christ, the pre-incarnate Jesus. He's not the Christ because that's that's a role, that's that's a uh, a title. It's the pre-incarnate Jesus, the Son of God. Um, anyway, amazing. And then we see after this that um, he will have the blessing, and he now takes his new identity. At uh, after he meets with Esau, we won't go into that. But he calls, he goes into the land of Shechem, and he goes to the town of Shet, this area, city of Shechem, and this is the same place where Abram first built an altar to the Lord when the Lord appeared to him and said, this land will go to your seed or your offspring. And so he, Israel or, or Jacob erects an altar and he calls it, this is the last verse of chapter 33, he calls it El Elohe Israel, which could be translated a couple of ways. Uh, God is the God of Israel or the mighty God of, of Israel. So could take it a couple of ways, or mighty is the God of Israel. Even though he, and he buys a small plot of land, knowing that this was the place that God showed up to his grandfather, Abraham, and this land will be given to you. And so he, he sets aside a part of it for worship and calls it mighty is the God of Israel. So this little nation is dwelling in the land of Canaan. And we have the story of, the defiling of their sister, uh, her da- his daughter, this man of Shechem has a son who's, who seized Dinah and lays with her and humiliates her. In NIV, it, it says rapes her, and, and so it is. Uh, the brothers, they rightly say that, that their sister has been defiled. It's a disgraceful, humiliating act. It must not be done in Israel. Uh, notice that's what they say. They think of their little colony there as as this little nation of Israel. They identify themselves like their father does with a new identity. And at the end of the story, they they overdo it. They uh, they trick the men of Shechem into getting circumcised. That's not what circumcision is for, but they use it to their advantage and they slaughter all the men. And later on in, in the law of Moses, when this exact thing would happen, it, it, this is, the result is is not that you're supposed to kill the man, um, but to try to make some peace. You can read that Deuteronomy 22, 28, and 29.
But at the end of the story, um, Levi and, and Simeon say, should we should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Um, of course not. And so they take matters into their own hands. Will this bode for disaster for them personally and for uh, the trouble in the land? Yeah. But the, I think that Moses includes this story to show this is what will happen if, if you entrust yourself to these Canaanites. Right? They are um, going to take advantage of you. They don't really want to be one with you. They want to, um, as I think the, this one son says, um, will not their livestock, this is verse 23, will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. In other words, uh, if we intermarry with them, we're going to get what they have. You know, they, they look at this little nation of Israel and think, wow, they got a lot. They are blessed from the heavens, and we can get what they have. So it's a warning for us um, to to be faithful. And it's also, I don't know, I wonder what your thoughts are on Simeon and Levi and the brothers taking this. Right? Who else is going to do it? All right, so we flip over to Matthew 11, and we'll be brief here. But we see Jesus talking about John the Baptist, and he says, you know, who is this? And they say, a prophet. Yeah, a prophet. More than a prophet. He is the messenger before your face. This is, he's quoting Malachi. Interesting here that this ties into um, Jacob, or now Israel, who wrestled with God, and he said this is the face of God. He saw the face of God and, and yet survived. And so here in Malachi, Jesus is quoting this, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And then he leaves out the, the rest of that verse in Malachi 3, and it says this, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And uh, Jesus fulfills this. John the Baptist is the messenger before the face of the Lord, the Lord who will come to his temple. Anyway, a couple of questions that people often have. Jesus says that, um, that from the, this is verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. Or, let me flip an NIV. It says, in NIV, has been subjected to violence. And the violent take it by force. Or in NIV, and violent people have been raiding it. What's going on here? This is confusing. And I... I just proposed to you a short answer. I don't have all the facts here. In Luke, Luke records this saying of Jesus to be something like this, that everyone is forcing his way into it, into the kingdom. One, one commentator says this of it. Um, this is the gist of what Jesus says. The kingdom presses ahead relentlessly. In other words, the kingdom will come. It comes relentlessly. And only the relentless press their way into it. Right? In other words, Jesus is talking about the difficulty of entering the kingdom of God. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, uh, this is chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, he says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So is Jesus talking about the difficulty of coming into the kingdom, and how hard it is to come? Maybe it is hard, and you must be relentless to get into it. And how do you get into it later in the chapter? Is it by being um, wise and having understanding in yourself? No, Jesus Jesus will say this in this prayer. 
uh, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. He's being sarcastic and revealed them to little children. So how do you get in the kingdom? By being a little child, right? A dependent, needy, poor in spirit child, right? At the end of this passage, he says, if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we need to hear, but we need to hear with faith. So real hearing calls for faith. And that's why Jesus is so against these cities who see the miracles, but they don't they don't engage the miracles with faith. They don't believe in the one who is speaking to them. And then one last question. Jesus says, I just mentioned it. If you're willing to accept it, this John the Baptist is Elijah who is to come. What? Some people will use this to say the Bible teaches reincarnation. No, it doesn't. Jesus is not saying that John the Baptist is literally Elijah who is to come. He's talking about, this is again Malachi. Malachi, I believe, is chapter 4. The day the Lord won't come until that that prophet comes, until Elijah the great prophet comes. I'm, I'm paraphrasing there. Read the end of Malachi. And Jesus is not literally saying this, but he is saying that, um, remember in John chapter 1, John the Baptist says, I'm not Elijah. He says that over and over. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Christ. However, um, this is Luke 1.17. John the Baptist's father says this uh, before he's even born. He prophesies, or I guess it is actually when he is born. He prophesies of his son when he is born. No, take it back. This is um, this is the angel um, speaking to Zechariah, and he says um, this. And he, your son John the Baptist, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That is exactly the role of Elijah the prophet. If you read Malachi and Luke one seventeen, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So he's not literally Elijah, but he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah to fulfill the role of Elijah. Well, a lot there. Psalm 14, we won't go into it, except that we're all fools. (laughs) Join the crowd, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And Paul quotes this later in Romans chapter 3 to show us that all of us are corrupt. All of us... um, have deeds that are vile, and there is none who does good. And he shows us, show he quotes this to show us that we all are in need of this uh, mighty God who would come, come to give his own life for us. All those poor in spirit, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Take those words to heart. Your Savior has come to give you rest. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.